So today we're talking about complete. Who likes to finish things? Finishing has a certain satisfaction to it, doesn't it? And uh, it's not easy to finish, is it? It's easy to start. It's not easy to finish. Now, I remember many years ago at university, rocking up for the first semester, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. And four years later, it was a hard slog. It was finished. But at the end, it wasn't nearly as exciting as at the beginning. But, you know, there is power in finishing. And so today, we're talking about completion, as in finishing. You know, last week, Peter talked about the power of saying yes. And Luke 5, and when Jesus asks the disciples to take the boat out and, and cast their nets on the other side. You know, what I took away from that was that when we say yes, we open the door to a new revelation of who Christ is. We can only have a deeper revelation when we say yes to God. So today, I'm looking at God is complete and we are made complete. And so we're going to break it into those two parts. But before we really get into it, I need to give you some background. So the Colossian church came out of Paul's ministry in Ephesus. So he never went to Colossae, but there was this guy by the name of Epaphras, it's a bit of a mouthful, who went from Colossae and sat under Paul and received his message. This was around 53 to 56 AD. And so Epaphras took the word back to Colossae and founded the church there. A few years later, in AD 60 to 62, Epaphras visits Paul while he's in Rome under house arrest. You know, if we read closely, you can do this in your own time, you'll see that Epaphras is worried. Why is he worried? He's worried because some attractive but destructive teachings have wormed their way into the church. And he needed help to deal with it. You see, someone was teaching that Christ was not enough, was trying to impose a religious system on the Colossians. See, the teaching gave Christ a place, but not the place. Sadly, this isn't a new thing, is it? I'll give you another example. In AD 318, so uh, about 250 years later, there was another controversy about the nature of Christ, stirred up by a man by the name of Arius, who was a priest in Alexandra, down in Egypt. And he made the claim that there was a time when the sun was not, that there was a time when it was God and the Holy Spirit. Now to us, that seems ludicrous, doesn't it? 
See, he taught that at some point, God created the second person in the Trinity. And he denied that God, the Son, are one, as they are with Father and the Spirit. You know, this was condemned at the Council of Nicaea, but Arius kept teaching it. And it wasn't until 60 years later where it was finally put to bed at the Council of Constantinople. There was this bishop also of Alexandria by the name of Athanasius. It's a mouthful. And he fought Arius on this issue. And Colossians 1.17 was central to his argument. It says this, God the Son was the one who created all things and the one for whom all things were created. He was before all things. And Athanasius used this passage and a whole host of others to show that Christ, Jesus the Son, is eternal, equal with the Father and the Spirit. And so it was put to to rest. You see, a false knowledge of Christ needs to be countered with the full knowledge of Christ. And there are many qualities of Christ that are described in Colossians that are in direct contrast to those false teachings at the time. And if you read on through Colossians 2, you'll see that we're talking about Colossians 1 today. See, the foundations of our faith are important. Like building a house. You dig away the topsoil, you... Um, put in your foundations. Maybe they need to go deep. Maybe they need to be, don't need to be so deep, but there's generally lots of concrete involved. And, and you make the foundation strong and then you, um, cast the slab and then you put the framing up and the roof and walls and the cladding and, and the house comes together. You know, that's just like how we develop our spiritual lives. But you know, the house doesn't become a home until we inhabit it. And the same way, we're like a temple that is vacant until the Holy Spirit inhabits us. So we must have a correct understanding of the truth of the gospel, of who Jesus Christ is, what he has done, that he completed the work of salvation And we can live a complete life with him. So we must understand that the gospel is complete. It's truth. It's God's redemptive plan for us. It is the greatest rescue mission there has ever been. Yeah, we heard recently about the cavers, or sorry, the sports team in the cave in Thailand. And the efforts that people went to to save them. You know, that's nothing compared to the efforts of Christ to save us. Yeah. So when we understand the truth, it transforms our lives. Yeah. When we understand his grace, it transforms our lives. We must understand. Colossians 1.6 The same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. 
It is bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives, just as it changed yours from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. And then Colossians 1.9. So we have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Then the way you live will always honour and please the Lord and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while, you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. We must know God better and better. You see, I keep coming back to the message last week, the power of saying yes. If we want a deeper revelation of God, we've got to say yes. If we want to understand how complete he is, we have to say yes. If we want to be complete ourselves, we have to say yes. In her book, Amy Walker, um, titled Enough, says this, Our lives, our actions and our fruit are shaped by what we know and believe about God. As we grow in knowledge, as we understand God's incredible grace towards us, the riches found in Christ, we will realise the power that is available to us to grow and bear fruit. Can we roll the video, please? He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. I came across that yesterday and um, felt that actually it was really powerful. And so now we're going to unpack that. So let's open our Bibles. 
We're going to start in 1 verse 15. See, Christ is the visible image of God. You know, in the Greek language, it uses the word icon. You know, it's like, uh, it's more than a symbol. It means in the exact likeness of. And our Jesus is the exact likeness of God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him he created everything in the heavenly realms and on the earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, authorities of the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. See, the firstborn of all creation, you know what that means? That means he's got position. That means he's got privilege. See, the firstborn in a household historically has been the one to inherit. As if you were in the royal family, if you were the firstborn, you would be the next king. See, the Colossian heresy taught that Christ was a created being. But Paul presents him not just as the creator, but also the goal for all creation. That's the one for whom all things were created. And he existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Have you ever wondered what holds things together? Scientists like to look at smaller and smaller particles. I think they're talking about quarks and and things like that when you talk about atomic physics. Small parts of atoms looking at what holds things together. In Paul's day, it was debated too. Some people thought it was water. Some people thought it was air. But Paul declared that this unifying, sustaining force was not a what, but a who. It was Jesus Christ. And as the Lord of the universe, the one who is before everything, he has every right to be Lord of everything he created. See, if Jesus is truly the Lord over our lives, then there cannot be any limits or conditions on that. He is either Lord or he isn't. And so Christ is also the head of the church, which in his, is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is the first in everything. Just like the physical body gets messages from the head, See, I think to my arm, move, and it moves. I say to my leg, kick, and it kicks. It's the same with the church. We get its signals from Jesus. You see, the church has a hope that is unlike any other, in that Jesus being the firstborn from the dead, the first to be raised from death, to be glorified. 
And because of his resurrection, there will come a day when all of creation will be recreated and the elect in Christ will join him and glorified everlasting bodies. You see, Christ is everything. He is the creator. He is the sustainer. The head, the beginning, the firstborn. In Revelations it says he is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. And he has preeminence over all life. That is, he is superior over everything. And he is the rock on which we can anchor our lives. You know, we cannot be saved by an incomplete God. So I guess it's a good thing we have a complete God, eh? We are complete in Christ. God is complete. You know... There was this band in the mid-90s, I don't think they're around anymore, by the name of Audio Adrenaline. And um, I used to love them. They were fantastic. They had some great hits. Um, and uh, I actually was watching some of their old school stuff on YouTube last night. And uh, they're still good. It's <laughs> all right. You go over and listen, Peter. You'll be converted. But anyway, they wrote a song, and it was called God-Shaped Hole. And it went like this. All around the world, people are trying. Deserted souls cry to be filled. Spirits left undone, their hearts are hollow. I can see in their eyes hollow lives. And every heart and every soul and every body's got a God-Shaped Hole. You may have tried to fill that hole inside with an empty hand you reached in vain. Substitutes don't work, bandages only hurt. The only thing that heals is the hand of God. Nobody's meant to be left all alone. Our lives are much too short to have an empty soul. Everybody's got a God-shaped hole. You know, when I listen to that song, I imagine... You know, we've heard that, heard that saying, a square peg in a round hole. You know, we each have this hole in our lives that can only be filled by God. And until God fills it, we will be incomplete. To understand how we can be made complete, we need to understand also why God sent his son to earth as fully God and fully man. And he came for a few reasons. Obviously, he was going to fulfill some Old Testament prophecies and show us who the Father really is. But perhaps the most important reasons serve as bookends to his experience on earth. And the first part of the answer to that question is in Philippians. In chapter 2. And then Colossians gives us the second part. Philippians 2. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? 
and you fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, working together with one mind and one purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude as Christ had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names. That at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow and in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. So Paul exhorts the Philippians to humbly serve one another, to essentially do what Jesus did. And in Philippians 2.7, Christ is essentially emptying himself of all his divine prerogatives. He didn't temporarily give up his divine nature or empty himself of his divine attributes. But he did in humility empty himself of his right to glorify himself as king and judge. He made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant in the likeness of you and I. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death. See, Paul explains theologically what Christ explained practically in Mark 10. For even the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve others and to give his life for the ransom of many. That is the first part of the answer. And the second part is found in Colossians 1, 19 to 23. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. See, Christ was not just a man or a teacher or even an angel or another celestial being. He was and is fully God. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. This includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. See, we are born apart from God, and there we remain until we are reconciled to him, until we accept him as our Lord and Saviour, until we let him complete us. No man could do that. 
only a fully man and fully God could bring all things together through himself. Verse 23, but you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the good news. The good news has been preached all over the world and I, Paul, have been appointed as God's servant to proclaim it. See, Jesus' servanthood culminates in reconciling all things to himself by shedding his blood on the cross. In other words, he bridged the gap between eternal death and eternal life. It was the only way. It was the only way that we could be made holy and blameless and above reproach. It's the only way that we could be presented to his Father in that way. See, Amy Walker again says this, the idea of fullness was one of completion, that one was made full, liberally supplied, made complete in every particular, rendered perfect. This is the incredible hope we now have, that Jesus the one who has the power to hold all things together, the one who is able to reconcile all things to God, lives within us. That he fills us with all the fullness of all that he is and has done. There is nothing we can add to the cross. In him we are completed. See, nothing is missing. There is no aspect that God missed, that Christ missed when he was here. He took care of it all. And we can be complete by the one who himself is complete. When we understand this truth, we can stand firmly in the assurance of it, even though we might be buffeted by life storms. Life storms will surely come. But if we understand the truth that our God made a way for us to be complete, wholly complete, holy and blameless, perfect in his sight, we can hang on to that. Right, can we roll the video, please? My mum just kept praying and saying, the baby's not breathing. You know, all my dreams at that moment were just shattered because, you know, I gave my life I gave my life to Jesus. I was working. I was happy. I was serving God. And it just didn't make sense. It didn't make any sense. That whole thing, that whole time was just kind of a whirlwind because we just still don't know why she never breathed. But uh, we had a funeral that very day because that's the way they do it in Brazil. And uh, it was just a day that was supposed to be your biggest day of joy was really your the hardest day that you that you've ever experienced. And during those days, I just, you know, had to cling to God and just know that He was my strength and He was going to get me through each day. And, you know, I had to rejoice in the Lord always. The sense we really had is that we were walking through a pretty place, but nothing spectacular. And we came to the edge of a a really big desert. And it was like we knew there was this beautiful place on the other side, but we could not see it. It was all we could see and feel was that heat of the desert. 
Obviously, I wasn't going to find strength in myself because I just had no more strength left. And during those days, you know, we just really dove into the Word of God and looked at God's promises. And the Word came alive in our lives like it never has before. We went to a level of faith that we had never experienced before, and a level of joy that we had never experienced before. And now we really feel like after all that's happened in our lives that we've reached that beautiful mountain range. We don't even know how high that mountain range is, but we know it's even greater than anything that we've passed through so far. Life happens. And I I watched that movie about a dozen times, and that's only the short version. Um, The it still kind of makes you emotional. I've seen it, you know, watched it enough. But you know, I was just struck by them as to how that they rested so totally in God in that awful time that they knew that their God was their rock that they derive their strength from him and his word. And you know, that comes when we know that we are completed in God. We can anchor ourselves on him. We can let him fill that hole inside of us. You know, there's the space. It's God-shaped. Just for God. Nothing else will fit. So we're going to worship in a minute. But we're going to open the altar. And if you feel like maybe you haven't been letting God fill that hole, maybe you've been letting other things try and fill it, then feel free to come down and talk to your God. If you need to do business with God, the altar is open. Don't be afraid. Don't be bashful. It's our God. He's made us complete. Don't want anyone to leave here being incomplete. Hallelujah.